I'm your host, Lou Carter, founder of Most Loved Workplace. The Leader Show brings together executives and leading thinkers to bring into focus our collective purpose and passion for what we do and where we do it. The search for occupational fulfillment, happiness, pride, and passion starts here. Hey, it's great to have everybody on here today. We have a great guest with us today. His name is Nirav Patel, and he is the president and CEO of Bristlecone. They're the leading provider of AI-powered application transformation services for the digital supply chain. So we're going to learn a lot from him today. Uh, they're growing, high growth period, which means you need a great leader like Nirav to make that kind of positive organizational culture and transformation. And we're going to hear all about how he's done that and how he became a most loved workplace certified, which congratulations, Nirav, in becoming a most loved workplace. Thank you, Lou. It's a pleasure meeting you today, and thank you for having me on this discussion. It's good to have you. Good to have you. So let's start first with Bristlecone. I want to hear more about it, what you do, and what people should know about you. Tell us what it is people should know about Bristlecone. Yeah. I mean, I think the way I summarize is Bristlecone is really focused on as a modern supply chain transformation company. All we do in everything that we do, we have about uh, close to 2,800 specialists that day in and day out focus on helping a lot of our large Fortune 500 clients transforming their supply chain uh, from more traditional supply chain to what I call to a more modern and digital supply chain. And so when I talk about supply chain, that's been a very, very broad topic. How we do that transformation is all with cloud data, AI, and using what I call the newest set of technologies and tools available to modernize our client supply chain. Mm, so t- let's talk about the tools because what a great way to do it uh, through AI, which gives uh, so much more sort of efficiency to the process, you might say, right? Uh, yeah. Automating is the way that we can yeah. one day surf the rings of Saturn yeah. a lot easier uh, yeah. than we could if we didn't have automation. So tell me more about what that application is in AR that allows that kind of transformation service for digital supply chain. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I'd summarize, I call the tool sets or the capabilities in three big buckets for us, right? The first one, I think, is really the advisory thought leadership, particularly around supply chain processes, process transformation, domain consulting, kind of leading around planning, procurement, sourcing, as well as fulfillment and execution capabilities, you know, in terms of clients are always looking for the best ways to really put in their planning systems, you know, thinking about modernizing their sourcing strategies and so forth. So to me, first big block is advisory and consulting. That's very important. Then second thing, what I call is platforms. You know, there are obviously the big behemoths with the SAPs and Oracles, which continue to really lead in a lot of those tech platforms uh, transformation. But then you have a, a host of what I call emerging more cloud native platforms around Kinexis, O9, Anaplan, and so forth. So there are a host of those platforms that exist today and clients are continuing to look at ways that they can have that ecosystem of platforms from the large scale core ERP tech platforms, but also more of the emerging set of platforms. The coolest part though in the third segment though is 
is all about building ground up native supply chain systems. And increasingly, our enterprises are looking at keeping the innovation elements of supply chain to be more as a competitive advantage. You know, supply chain in the past was really a cost center, a lot more of an hygiene and, you know, wanted to make sure that it's kept lights on and it's never broken. COVID changed the game of how clients and our customers and our CEOs, customer CEOs, started to look at supply chain as a competitive advantage, as against purely a cost center. And I think that shift in mindshare is very fundamental in the way and how supply chain has become, I call the CEO's agenda items. And they are constantly looking at ways that supply chain could really play as a competitive advantage for them. And how can they accelerate modernizing of their supply chain networks and their sourcing strategies and their planning systems to reflect on that. So this is where more and more accelerators and tools and AIs and data and cloud comes in. And so we really invest and take a point of view that we will lead our point of view with those while trying to think about it. So to me, summarizing it is three sets of buckets, you know, the advisory consulting, thinking about platforms and thinking about the digital tools to build up ground up supply chain systems. Okay. Right there, we know we're highly service-based industry for you, which means if you have that connection to stakeholders, it also means you have to have a deep emotional connection within your team, of course, especially as you grow. And that brings us to your leadership of your culture, the most love workplace culture uh, that you have and how the rise philosophy, right? Yeah. Has really become a sort of central component around how people view their leadership, right? And culture at Bristlecone. Tell us more about what rise is and how you see that as part of how you lead. That's a good segue to talking about people. And, you know, Lou, I think the interesting thing in services industry, and you talked about services industry as a very fundamental people driven play. We are in the talent business. And in the past, we used to say that our people are our biggest assets. They continue to be our biggest assets today. And that hasn't fundamentally changed. But in the past, we used to say that our assets walk out of our office every single day. Today, we are in a place, my assets never come to my office. Working with these assets and really building a culture in today's time frame is very different than how we built organizations of the past. And to us, the RISE philosophy plays very centrally in how we have really thought about building what I call a very compelling and a unique and a different culture. You know, RISE philosophy focuses on three fundamental things. One, RISE for a more equal world. So we want to focus on inclusion. We want to focus on climate. We want to focus on ethics, integrity, and how we really build a long-lasting and an enduring organization. Two, RISE to be what I call future-ready. Think about customer focus. Think about technology Think about innovation. And that's what is going to make all of our employees and us future ready for our customers. And the three and the final thing is rise to create value, which is very entrepreneurial, very scale, impactful business transformations you can drive. And so can you drive that culture of entrepreneurship among your people? So to me, our rise purpose actually gives us a very, very solid foundations on how we want to think about our culture. And underlying all of this at BristleCone, and personally, my individual approach has always been installing a culture of listening. And to me, that is very central way as to how you can get to that building of what I call today's most loved workplaces. You know, I think it's important that if the workplaces are going to be fairly hybrid, more virtual, you are looking at your assets sitting in their homes. You're trying to bond yourself into a fun-loving place, which is an interesting 
way to think about it because it's no longer the four walls of your office. I mean, that's no longer the case to me. And so the rice philosophy gives me a very good way. And I continue to reiterate the point that you have to have a culture of listening. You need to listen to your employees, no matter where they are seated. And if you listen, if you align with where their individual purpose and aspirations are, I think you collectively end up building uh, more exciting workplaces. This concept of listen is huge, isn't it? And I say that because, well, number one, we're all about employee listening. That's exactly what we do is employee listening. And that's one component, of course, of the process. The key, the change that we see for the more successful companies is listening and doing. So far too many companies that we've seen get lots of data and a lot of analytics. And we do have process for looking at the top and the bottoms and there's no execution, right? So there's a lack of action fatigue that's happening. You hear survey fatigue, this is lack of action fatigue. So tell me more, since you're most of workplace, what do you do when you identify, of course, we have that on our system. You identify the top and bottom competencies. You identify the uh, most uh, difficult uh, comments and best ones. How do you take those comments and connect them to doing inside your company? What do you do to make that happen? First of all, I should say that we feel extremely proud and privileged to be recognized as the most loved workplace. And I think it is such an intense and thorough exercise that you guys do in sort of identifying and sort of I call crystallizing this notion of workplaces and what love means in the workplaces. And I think so that's fantastic to see somewhat of a method to the madness of how how to get that. I think to me, the culture of listening also ties very strongly to the fact that you need to be quick in action making. And it's important that I think most organizations have very solid ways of feedback loops and they have surveys, they have ways to really start their journey on customer listening. But to me, I think you can elevate this if you make it fairly instant and quick. You know, I'll give you one example. You know, one of the things that in our recent town halls, almost about a few quarters ago, we wanted to introduce this idea of My Day Fridays, where we basically said no scheduled meetings on Friday afternoons across the world. And so the way we did it is we actually were on a town hall and we said, hey, what do you guys all think about this idea? And people could live vote it. And we had 70% acceptance and we just right there announced it saying this begins next Friday. And so, you know, this kind of ideas and instant response make your client and make your employees feel we are quick about listening and we are quick about actioning. So I think it is important that the traditional feedback loop systems where waiting for an analysis paralysis and sort of saying, okay, here are the five things that you want to take. But I think the instant response mechanisms work brilliant. I think people love it because you are very honest, very direct with them and saying, if you feel that something has to be changed and it's implementable, it's practical, go for it. I think that's probably the best way to think about it. What's interesting too is far too often we look at employees' culture surveys as things that employees see wrong about the company and the company has to fix them for them. What we're doing here at Most of Workplace is that we're saying you take responsibility too. Employees take responsibility for this and changing their own cultural behaviors and doing the very things and comments that they're requesting of others. Because when we all change as a whole system, everything changes. It's not just this power that comes down and helps everybody. And I can help you. I'm the larger power that be. No, it's we are the larger power that be. 
We are it. Employees are it. Staff is it. Employees, managers, leaders. We're in this together. Yeah. And I think that sense of empowerment, uh, you can see immediately showing up in, in employees, right? Because when they feel that, I mean, there is no corporate policy that I've installed to say, we are going to govern and manage the My Day Fridays very strictly. Ultimately, it is a people thing. I mean, you know, we said, hey, everybody will respect each other's calendars and we won't do any meetings on Friday afternoons. And so that's that's what My Day Friday is. It's your own personal time. You think through what you want to do and catch up before you really wrap up the week. The execution of it demands a level of sense of ownership from every individual. And so that I think you can see a very, very immediate gratification in those conversations. Having what I call best people practices, particularly around health and wellness, focusing on diversity and inclusion. These are very important aspects for employees today, much more than in the past. So I think you have to kind of relate and resonate to what your employee base is saying about the communities you work in, about social issues and so forth. So I think it is increasingly a very, very balancing act for CEOs to really look at as to how to really represent a very unified workforce. And as you grow beyond a few thousand people, it gets increasingly complex. I think the point you made is fantastic, Lou, that, you know, you cannot do this just sitting at the top or with a few leadership people at the top. You have to really allow the whole organization to feel and rhythm with how you think about the culture. Because ultimately, you know, while the guiding is coming from the leadership and what they reflect, if people don't align with your culture, and there are times, you know, people will say, hey, this is not my type of company. Actually, you would want that clarity to be more clearly articulated that people can make that choice. Because if you don't allow them and you remain a very confused organization, then people say, I don't know whether I can relate to this company or not. So I think it's important that as organizations, you also pick, provide a level of direction that people align and synthesize with. That is an important aspect. And Nirav, you mentioned create value in terms of in rise. Ours is the alignment of values. It's very similar in that way and under our, our model that you took. What's interesting about those values and discovering, hey, is this the right values for me? Is this yeah. the right fit for me? It's yeah. an important one. Because it, it also goes to what we call in organization development, effective commitment. How committed am I to what I'm doing and why I'm here? And what is it that uh, brings us to work every day and why? And changing that around, right? It's not just what people are doing to me, right? You're doing yeah. this to me, thus I'm angry and I'm upset, I'm frustrated, which we actually look at in terms of sentiment. It's not just about that anger or frustration or disappointment. It's about what is leading this sadness and disappointment internally, right? Why am I fully sad? Why am I disappointed? Is it something that's happening with me? Why is what I am doing not connected to what the company must do to be successful? Mm -hmm. No, when you do that alignment feedback discussions, I mean, it's amazing that you will come to a realization that there are some things of your core values that remain constant, you know, throughout one's journey, you know, so things like professionalism, customer first, quality focus. I mean, to me, that's, I call table stakes of how you really build organizations and enduring organizations, right? What stood out for us is, you know, one of the things that people said that we want to think about dignity of the individual more so than anything else. And that's very important. So it's not about, when you're making choices, you're taking stands, it's quite likely that you're going to be loved by somebody, but you're going to also be hated by a few. 
how do you really while doing that still continue to have a difference of opinion but hold the dignity of the individual through the journey and not really at any cost dilute that and so to me those are the aspects of your culture which talks about alignment saying hey i align with the fact that i am well respected i am individually recognized don't have an alignment on all the specific themes or the issues that i think are important um and some there are but i feel it's important to know that because you know you, you, when you are trying to synthesize and and say something or do something that you want most of your organizations to to relate to right like that's the way you want to think about it so to me things like dignity of the individual the other point is you know good corporate being good corporate citizens you know we serve many countries and many communities we have about 12 global hubs around the world so representing and allowing our employees to represent those communities and serve them with a broader framework is actually extremely important and relevant these topics while they cross the boundaries of your organization they are part of your culture what you do not just within the company but also what you do with the communities you serve matter and so these are very important points for a lot of your employees and so you just want to make sure that you're thinking it more holistically of how to build more enduring workplaces what's interesting is just what you were said that we got this question and uh, is exactly what you said with such a transformative application to supply chain industry how have you kept your dispersed workforce which you're talking about right now and yeah. rowing in the same direction aligned with your three main buckets tell us about that tell us more scott i think asked this question and scott look i'll say this is the hardest thing for today's leaders because you have to understand that you are servicing different minds and there are so many minds and as we can see that when you have four members in your family you have difference of opinion with people that you lived for entire life and that happens on topics so i think in this way that the way you want to think about it is you really find what's the smaller employee passion that can relate to what you're doing as a broader company and i think you have to distinguish the two and say organizationally we are going to do these directionally these 10 things now you need to have individuals finding their passion and objective to these three buckets of what i call advisory platforms and tools right and these are functional things and you know sometimes people say you know what i am in this place i want to do this allow that mobility and so one of the things we do as a company is we are saying you can try and be and do and visualize to do anything you have under the roof of the company so if you are a support function doesn't mean you cannot do a line function job we have had people who came in from our enabling functions and support functions to take up customer facing roles in the advisory and the client partner model how do you do that is because you're saying these are all skills this is what is available for us in the company and as long as your passion is in some place that exists in this larger umbrella and we can enable that for you we would like to work towards a transition and make that happen so it is something that is an extremely important question and one that you actually deal with it every single day you know that how do you really keep uh, this idea of a highway in one direction going but at the same time allow the employees to pick the lanes they want to drive in on the same highway So you know that's the notion you'll have to kind of think constantly about. Absolutely because th- those highways actually uh, merge often, right? Uh, and there's handoffs. It's kind of like a um, you know a relay race. 
sort of the full cycle, right? From advisory to platforms and digital tools. And often they really do need to work together. And yeah. there's ways to bring them to do that. It's a great question. Yeah. There's another one that just came up. Are there strategies and tactics that Bristlecone uses to bring employees into the planning process to continue improve workplace culture? So I feel, you know, you have to constantly personalize your cultural thematics. And I'll give this example. There was a question about work from home, working back in office. Is that part of your culture of how you really think? It's just a simple thing, but so touchy, you know, and I think I, I talk about some of our mistakes we had in that journey, you know, because you're constantly evolving yourself as an individual, as a leader and trying to make it best for every employee. And so we went into a play that we felt that there was an important point for us to really bring everybody back into the office and so forth. If you have a culture of listening, so for fundamentally you're saying, you know, my workplace culture is determined by my 2,800 employees. That's a very, very macro level summarization of how you want to think about it. Now, I think when you start to really implement certain policies, you understand that you might not be making the entire 100% of your staff aligned and happy, but you take a position and a stance, but you also quickly learn from it. So we actually pushed ourselves really hard to bring everybody back to office. And we realized very quickly that majority of our employees looked at ways to really avoid that. And so, you know, they find ways to circumvent it and so forth. So things like that. So, and so we really went from a interim hybrid circle uh, model to a really permanent. And so we now have small office setups uh, because there are a group of people that like to come to office. Many of our leaders actually like to come to our office. Many of our enabling functions like to be in office in person together. Many of our innovation teams want to kind of do their whiteboardings together in office. So you do need a combination of that. And so we really quickly took a U-turn on our stands that, hey, this is too hard a stand to take and most of our employees don't relate to it. Uh, so I have two choices to do, either change my policy or change all my employees. And I think that's a very natural choice for you to think about changing your policy and say, okay, you know, if we are around to serve our broader employee base, then you take a different stand. So this is a kind of learning that comes in where we take decisions, people decisions, with the right intent. But at times, you should also be quick in learning and recognizing some of the mistakes to make amends with it and change. Absolutely. And I made a great point here. Kerry's mentioning that here, you know, personalizing our jobs, right? And uh, last question is from Zachary Laposa. Thanks, Kerry, for your questions as well. What challenges have you faced in working with the cultural differences in teams? We mentioned that around the world. How do you bring them together in their cultural awareness and cooperation? So I think, you know, Zach has actually talked a little bit about his answer in his questions. You know, I think to me, the differences start with awareness and the commonalities among the cultures also start with awareness. The first thing organizations need to do and must do is to ensure that your employees are exposed to a diverse culture. I mean, that's very central. That's their first point of starting to learn. Like if they don't have that, I think they miss out hugely on not start, you know, getting to know what it means to actually go out on a dinner with somebody from a slightly uh, different community than yours. So I think you need to really start to first allow an organization and infuse your organization to bring that. And I think there is a quantity game and there is a quality game. And so the quantity game is basically saying, do you have enough diverse communities working for you in your organization? And are your employees exposed to that? More importantly, where your customers are, because, you know, as a global company, we think that we can serve any customers anywhere in the world. But in reality, 
to personalize that as culturally understanding your customers, that goes beyond just simply saying, I can serve you. And I'm trying to serve you with my background as against the other way around. So I would say, I think the awareness is a first point. Get into the quantity, make sure you have that. And then you start to focus on the quality of knowing each other's. And, you know, we've seen amazing surprises of how people really are very open to learn. And the culture of learning uh, is also equally important intertwined in it. Uh, we learn every day as individuals, both in our professional and personal lives. And I think as you are exposed more and more with diverse team, I think uh, you will trigger a self-learning model for them to really be more accepting of those different communities. It's true. In OD, we call it uh, using the self as an instrument of change. Yeah. It's a concept. It's a way of being that we understand that there are differences and we must we must come to a conclusion that is conducive to a human approach, a consistent human approach that we both can agree on, right? All of the greatest negotiations, consensus building we look at that have formed in history have been based upon a truly understanding, empathetic human approach. We go from Reagan and Gorbachev, or we go to Jimmy Carter, and there's many different times in history for when negotiations have been best when we listen and we hear and we do something about it from both perspectives, the common thread of decency and humanity, it can always be found always in business, right? In business specifically and or government sometimes. I know you mentioned that, but it's important that we see that in a global approach, right? Nirav, thank you so much for joining us here today on the the Newsweek Leader Show uh, for Most Love Workplace. And I look forward to, to keeping up with our our relationship and that uh, you as a most love workplace, because it really is an important part of the world. I know that, and also of how we grow uh, within our companies as, especially as, you know, as we get more demand, more employees and keep this central core focus on staying emotionally connected, truly productive and growing together. Thank you Lou for recognizing us and for allowing us to express our point of views and opinions in a constantly evolving world. So thank you for engaging into this conversation.